from high atop his mountain of index cards and tournament brackets, this is The Joy of Booking, a fantasy booking podcast. Here's your host, DC Matthews. Thank you, Brandon Banks, and welcome back to The Joy of Booking. My name is DC Matthews at the... DC Matthews. Hope you are doing well. Hope those you love are doing well as well. Uh, happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! As this is going to be a weird thing. We're going to go on a tangent right off of the jump. Um, what do you call the grandparent of your cousin's that is not technically related to you. So this would be an aunt or uncle by marriage, um, their parents. So my cousins, who I've talked about on this show or on various shows before, I have two cousins. Um, I had two adopted cousins, but then that relationship ended, so... They kind of disappeared. But I have two actual blood cousins. Uh, one is my age, just a few months younger. Uh, and the other one's a couple of years younger than that. Um, they're grandparents that technically weren't related to me. So my aunt, my mom's sister's husband's parents. Um, we saw them quite a bit. We saw them quite a bit. They would come over and be a part of certain... Um, holidays, Halloween, uh, chief among them, you know, and they were Mr. and Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but it always felt a little weird. And in, in some ways, you know, I was born after both of my grandfathers passed away. Uh, my mom's dad died when she was 16 and my dad's father passed away a few years before I was born. So I never had grandfathers. That was not eh, anything that I kind of knew. So my grandfather influences were this man. His name was Russ. Um, you know, he was my, like I said, my cousin's grandparents that I technically wasn't related to. Um, but, you know, in some ways he was a grandfatherly figure. I've been to his house. He had a pinball machine in the basement, which I thought was very cool. Um he, you know, I got gifts on holidays from him and his wife. Uh, very nice people. He passed away, oh, probably a decade or so ago. Um, their grandmother's still alive and kicking in her 90s. Uh, I believe she's not quite, you know, her mental faculties aren't quite what they used to be, but she's still living somewhat independently, if I if I have that correct, I could be wrong. But either way, shout out to Ruth and Russ. Uh, um, but yeah, so, you know, they would come over and they had a video camera. And I remember, you know, a videotape of us on Halloween were in whatever costumes. Maybe it was the year that we were Ninja Turtles. Maybe I was a Transformer. But I remember Russ, he, he started the video with, it's Halloween. And his voice went up and it like went down. The scale, it was it was quite amusing. I haven't thought about that in a very long time. It's funny what certain, you know, what a podcast will bring out of you in terms of your memories. But it's Halloween. 
Uh, it's Monday, October 31st, as you're listening. It's two weeks before that as I'm sitting down to record this part. Who knows when it'll finish? Because we got a job to do, friendos. We have ranked 71 Halloween Havoc matches. There are 107. We have 36 to go. Um, by my reckoning, it should take us a little bit less than two hours to get that done. Longer if I keep going on tangents. Uh, we have our matches here from the Renegade Warriors versus the Freebirds. Uh, at the bottom of the list, the one match of these that I could not finish all the way up to the number one match from 96, Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio. We're good, but I said we got some We got some to go. I debated now going in chronological order and just hitting all the matches that we haven't done yet, but then I said to myself, Self, that seems silly and antithetical to all of the randomness that I enjoy. So I've randomized the numbers. I have now unredacted them. And we're just going to go one at a time because it's just going to make things easier. And I think it will make things flow a little better. I am ready. I hope you are ready. Let's begin. And we begin with 1999's match of the opening up the Halloween Havoc of 99. The Disco Inferno versus Lash LaRue. When you watch these things uh, chronologically and in a short amount of time, I banged out, I think, all of the Halloween Havocs in about 10 days, maybe even less. I can't remember. Um, you get sick of certain people. That There was just, by 99, I was all done with Disco. You know, he's a dink, which doesn't help. Um, he's not a bad wrestler, but he's not a great wrestler. However, I, I, I cheered to see Lash LaRue. Uh, Lash LaRue right now, in case you're curious, every so often the match was boring, so I went on to, uh, you know, went to look and see what he was up to. He's a pastor now, and I think he goes by Mark Lash LaRue. I'm assuming Lash is not actually his middle name. I'm assuming he's trying to capitalize at least somewhat on his former glory, but while I am... Um, Somebody, I was listening to a podcast and somebody described their belief system as apathetic, not, ap not agnostic, not atheist, or apathetic. Maybe it was apathetic, not apathetic. Apathetic. I don't care enough to believe one way or another. Either way, I thought that was funny. Uh, I don't believe, but I support lash for believing and if he's helping people good for him the match wasn't bad lash has a twisting northern lights uh head or a suplex that is very good he tried a top rope uh hurricane rana that wound up just power bombing himself i have to i i want to know this i've read nitro i've read the death of wcw no one's ever covered this did they intentionally give the stunner to the disco inferno to make that move less impactful because it was being done by such a joke? Or did Glenn Gilberti choose to do the move because nobody else was doing it? That's what I want to know. You know, the stunner is generally considered probably in the top 10, if not top 5 finishers of all time. God, I could rank them. Oh, oh screw. 
oh, screw, why do I have these ideas? But regardless, the fact that it was done by Austin to such wonderful effect and then done by the Disco Inferno makes me laugh. Uh, Disco has a nice pile driver, and he wins with the chart buster, which they called the last dance, but I remember it being the chart buster. So let's see here. This was actually, I said, the third best match of Halloween Havoc 99, narrowly beating Brad Armstrong versus Berlin, uh, which is just a sign at how bad this show was. Because those matches were not great by any stretch, but again, they weren't bad. Um, so Brad Armstrong versus Berlin is 34th on our list right now, my lucky number, or my favorite number. So this has to go a little bit higher. I can't say it was as enjoyable as the car wreck of Mr. JL versus Sabu. But I can say... Actually, I don't know if I can say that either. I will put it ahead of Pretty Wonderful versus Stars and Stripes. So I will put it at 32. Because... I, like I said, I can't put it that much higher. These matches weren't great by any stretch of the imagination. But they weren't bad. What's next? We did 87. Next up is 96. Oh, I'm on the right page. Hey, we are start, we're going from the opener to the main event. The main event of um, the 99 Havoc. Now, if you remember from the last episode... Uh, 99 Havoc features Sting versus Hogan in the match that wasn't. Hogan comes out in street clothes, talks to Sting. Sting gets pinned. Or no, Sting pins Hogan. Uh, but then he comes out and he insists on be having an actual match. And I don't remember if he opened challenges. But he winds up adding uh, wrestling Goldberg uh, in the main event matchup here. Um, you know, Goldberg comes out. He's getting booed at first. I seem to recall in the Nitro book them talking about a very quick heel turn. They tried to turn Goldberg heel, and the crowd just wasn't into it. Uh, so they booed Goldberg when he came out, but they cheered very mightily when he won. Um, the match was quick. It wasn't anything exciting. It's a Goldberg match. Uh, the best part of the match was Sting hits a spear on Goldberg, and Goldberg completely doesn't say, like, gets right back up. That's what you're supposed to do. Because, again, I've talked about this before, maybe on this show, maybe on a different show. If you're a small guy, you shouldn't be doing a spear. A spear needs to be done by a muscle-bound guy like Goldberg or a giant. Uh, you know, Keith Lee can do a spear. Monty Brown can do a spear. Bradshaw could have done a spear. I would have even accepted a spear from Midian. Sting, not quite the guy to do a spear. Sting's not, especially not 99 Sting, he's not very explosive. So a spear from Sting is weird. Uh, this was fifth on my list, just ahead of Sid versus Goldberg. And again, I think it comes down to the fact that it was a short match. Short matches can be very good when you are doing, when that's the point. Uh, yes, I think it's better than Ron Simmons versus Lex Luger. Yes, it's better than Oz versus Bill Kazmaier. Uh, is it better than Six versus Chris Jericho? Is it better than Kevin Sullivan versus Dave? There was more of a story in that one. I will put it just below Six versus Jericho, and I will put it at number forty. 
four. Quick uh, aside here. I want to see... I don't know if we've done all of Sting's matches yet. We probably haven't. But I just want to know where he fits so far. He's part of the Chamber of Horrors match. So he's at 13. Then he's part of the tag match with Flair against Arn and Pillman. That's 14. So he has two matches in the top 15. Then we don't see him again until... Scrolling. I'm scrolling. 44. Sting and Goldberg. So he has two in the top 15, but he also has two in the top 40. And then he's got 44. Then we see him again at 57, his match with Hogan. 59, his match with Jarrett. 63, his match with Bret Hart. 67, his match with Sting. So he's got more matches in the bottom fifth than the top fifth of this bracket. Now that doesn't mean anything. This is Halloween Havoc. This is a very small sample size. If we went with the entirety of Sting's career, we have to imagine that's going to be way higher. But it's interesting to note, just as that kind of snapshot, that Halloween Havoc obviously just not his show. We move from 99 to 2000, and a match that was fine-ish, according to my rankings. Mike Awesome, the lady, the 70s, late, I don't remember what the gimmick was called, with the poofy hair, versus Vampiro. Um, you know, the, that poofy hair, Mike Awesome deserves, if we ever do the DDT Awards again, and by God, I hope we do. I know that we insulted, and by we, I mean I insulted Doc Manson by wanting to go home. I didn't want to do an all-day episode. I would have rather done, you know, this in parts, big thing, you know. Uh, but if we ever do one again, Mike Awesome deserves uh, a Triple H Ponytail Memorial Award for just very nice hair. Uh, these guys are almost the same height. How tall is Vampiro? How tall is Vampiro? 6'3", which seems short. How tall is Mike Awesome? 6'6". So either Vampiro had high boots or I, I was just misinterpreting that they looked the same. Um, you know, for someone who is 6'6", the fact that I compare, this is an interesting comparison. I compare Mike Awesome to Donovan Dijak, a.k.a. Dijakovic, a.k.a. T-Bar. And I do that in this way. A person that tall shouldn't be able to do the athletic things that they do. I give them all the credit in the world for being able to do things that I have never and will never be able to do. Having said that, it's not graceful. When Dijak jumps up to the top rope, balances, and does a flip or whatever, it's not graceful. It's impressive, but it's not graceful. Mike Awesome's dives were impressive, but they were not graceful. That's, you know, I'm going to go tweet that out as a dream match right now, actually. I did that thing. I don't think I mentioned it. I'm going to bring it back right now. So if you remember this tweet from two weeks ago, you now know when I wrote it. Uh, dream, oops, dream matches. Mike Awesome versus, let's make it Donovan Dijak. Boom. Tweet it out. I have some DMs. I have an inner circle DM and a bestie uh, DM. 
according to today's episode. <laughs> oh, the benefit of, uh, you know, apparently I was feeling under the weather when I recorded whatever episode came out today. The benefit of pre-taping, recording episode three of the Halloween Havoc series right now. All right, let's get back into it. Mike Awesome and Vampiro. Um, they brawl through the crowd, which is not a bad thing to do, but then they also just kind of stand on the stairs for a while. Uh, this is October of 2000. There's a sign in the crowd that says, goodbye, Eric slash Russo. Hello, JR and Shane. I forget that WWF was for six months or so kind of in them in them running to buy WCW and wound up buying it let's it, it needs to be said they wound up buying it for 4.3 million dollars ridiculous ridiculous um vampire's trying stuff that's not working uh, he goes outside to try to find something and at this point the announcers are just calling him out on it they keep you know he's looking for some sort of weapon he can't find it somebody says find it quick uh, there was a top rope awesome bomb for the win. This match was fine-ish. Fine-ish, I say, which is enough <laughs> in the 2000s. A fine-ish match is good enough to be second in the, in the uh, 2000 Halloween Havoc. That's how bad this show was. I even said it was better than Booker T and Scott Steiner, which is currently 25. Um... But I don't think I can go any higher than that. Because higher than that, we get into the world of, uh, you know, maybe it's higher than the skyscrapers and the road warriors. Maybe it is. But that feels wrong. And then we're getting into Bobby Eaton versus Terrence Taylor territory. And again, that just seems wrong as well. So I'm going to slot it right now at 25, which means 25, 26, and 27 are currently all held by... 2,000 uh, matches. Interesting. All the way back to six. Let's go back to the beginning here. This will be the match that actually took place right before... Uh, right before Skyscrapers and Road Warriors. And gosh diggly darn it, it's another Lex Luger match. I'm so tired of Lex Luger. I'm so tired of him. Uh, and this was the first one. He is the champion, I think the U.S. champion, uh, taking on Brian Pillman, who's got cheerleaders accompanying him to ringside, but their outfits don't match his outfit, which is weird. Um, you know, uh, I wrote, my eyes don't want to watch Lex. It's real, it's real true. And Brian Pillman, you know, you want to talk about a guy out of time. If Brian Pillman had made his debut... If he had come along, you know, he's in the edge, Chris, like Brian Pillman versus Jeff Hardy, Brian Pillman versus Edge back when, you know, young Edge, um, like Brian Pillman, if he had come around in the late 90s instead of the late 80s, what a career he could have had. Luger has terrible punches. Bob Cottle wonders why Luger isn't wrestling that well, because he's terrible. Um... Yeah, at some point, um, 
I think it's like a top rope drop kick, and Luger either doesn't want to get hit by it, so he takes a bump as far away from Pillman as possible, or it was just a miscommunication. But either way, Lex wins with a hot shot. That match is decent when Brian Pillman is on offense. It's still the, I said, the the wor- second to worst match. We have a lot of 89, sorry. We have a lot of 89 to get through, and not a lot of it is great. So Luger and Pillman is behind, uh, way behind. Oh, no, there's a lot of matches here we haven't covered. Way behind Skyscrapers and Road Warriors. So let's see. Luger, Pillman, a match that is one-sided. So let me look. I am sure there is a match on here that is similar. Um, Good when... You know, one person is wrestling and not the other. Kevin Sullivan versus Dave Sullivan comes to mind. Um, A match that, you know, when Kevin Sullivan's doing his thing, it's great. But it wasn't anywhere near that good. Um, Ron Simmons versus Lex Luger comes to mind. I don't know if I'd consider it anywhere near that good. Uh, You know, Disco Inferno versus Jackie. When Jackie's doing stuff, it's great. When Disco's doing stuff, it's not. That's kind of where we're at. Um, so let's put it above, let's not even put it above that because there was a better story, but let's put it right there at 55 ahead of the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett, Brian Pillman versus Lex Luger. All right, back we go. Number 83, what will it be? 83, it will be the second match. Um, And actually, the only other one that I could not finish. This is from, where are we now? 98? Yeah, 98. The second match, and I watched Hogan Warrior. I watched that whole thing. Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. Um, This is the era in which we are leaning into the fact that Scott Hall has alcohol issues. In hindsight. Knowing what we know now, I couldn't do it. Um, he comes out, he's acting drunk. Uh, Nash is obviously concerned, but then Scott Hall appears to be faking it, but then he's not fake, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't finish it. Uh, I will not say it was as bad as, whoops, what am I doing? Uh, that 90 match between the Renegade Warriors and the Freebirds, it was not insulting in a... Um, cultural way. It was not insulting to a specific uh, ethnic group, but it was bad enough and in poor enough taste that I could not bring myself to watch it. Um, so, yeah. So it's going to be uh, currently 75 out of 76 matches. 19. Where are we going now? 19 here. Oh! We did this before. The number, where are we now? Is it number three now? The number three match on our list is the 93 matchup between Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes from 1993. This is the same match, but it took place two years earlier. In 91, Steve Austin versus Dustin Rhodes. Um, And it is super impressive that this match took place in 1991, and technically, technically, both of these 
people wrestled in 2022. Steve Austin had a match that, remember that? Do we remember when Stone Cold wrestled in 2022 and it wasn't nearly as bad as we were all terrified it would be? It was actually pretty decent. And that was the perfect way for him to have one more match, not embarrass himself, and hopefully never do it again. Do we remember that? Do you remember when he and Kevin Owens essentially main evented a WrestleMania? Um, and Dustin Rhodes, you know, he's written that he's slowing down. I think he's probably done sooner rather than later, but still. Very impressive. Um, this card wasn't great, so the minute or two of them wrestling right in the beginning is already better than everything else I've seen in 91. Uh, Dustin's drop kicks are just like his daddy's. He kind of lifts himself up and just lets himself fall. Um, you know, it was obviously going to be a draw. You could tell that right away, but it was still fun. So the fact that it was a draw means I'm going to call the 93 one better, but I'm going to put it at five on my list. Well, let me actually look here. Let me go over to 94 because there's Arn Anderson versus Dustin Rhodes. And that was very good. Should have been great. This one, Okay, I said this one was great. So, yeah, we're going to go five here. Steve Austin versus Dustin Rhodes. So it is worth noting that at this moment, uh, Dustin Rhodes is in three of the top ten matches from Halloween Havoc history. Austin and Rhodes in 93, Austin and Rhodes in 91, and then Arn versus Dustin in 94. I am assuming that 94 match will get bumped eventually. There's still some very good ones on our list, but it's pretty impressive. He has now supplanted the Steiners. The Steiners are only in here twice. And again, I don't think we have anyone else who's even in here also twice in the top 10. Uh, but yeah, good for Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes w was great, and then Goldust was great. He had some rocky issues there, but Black Rain was great. I love Dustin Rhodes. All right, 53. What will it be? 53. Oh, oh. God, no, I don't want to do this again. Another Lex Luger match. Jeepers, creepers. At least, at least in this case, he's wrestling Ming. At least in this case, he's wrestling Ming. Because if anything's going to make me watch a Lex Luger match... It is Ming. We're in 1995. Ming versus Luger. Ming's part of the Dungeon of Doom. He's got a robe that, like, I think it's supposed to be a gargoyle, but it looked like he was dressing up like Batman. Um, he's got the braided mullet, though, look, which is nice from kind of what it would be in the Faces of Fear sort of thing. And I will say, I will say, it hurts, but I'll say it. Uh, the storyline that they did with Is Lex Luger Part of the Dungeon of Doom was pretty good. There was a couple of things they did where, you know, is he with Kevin Sullivan? Is he not with Kevin Sullivan? Is he allied with the Giant? Is he not allied with the Giant? That was actually pretty entertaining. You know, I enjoyed the Lex Express um, being that I was a Bret Hart fan and Yokozuna beat Bret Hart, so when... You know, that whole thing. Um, the narcissist, in hindsight, I can appreciate. I don't like a lot of Lex Luger, but I that story wasn't bad. Um, you know, Bobby Heenan's on commentary. He's a dream. You know, go ahead and throw Ming off the roof of a truck. It'll be the nicest evening he ever had. 
I think they were talking about, oh no, maybe it was the roof of uh, Kobo Hall, because this is the same show as that terrible monster trucks. Meng does a uh, small package, which is impressive. Then later he bites Luger and then spits, which is a really effective visual. I've bit something off of you. Let me spit it out is essentially what that's saying to me. Um, you know, Sullivan is in red and yellow, which I always thought I thought was weird because Hulk Hogan's red and yellow. I don't know if that was done purposefully or not. Um, but again, the storytelling, you know, Lex is at ringside. Kevin's the manager for Ming. Lex is at ringside hurt. Kevin seems concerned. There was a very good story. Uh, it was a little long. It was a little long. And eventually Sullivan kicks Luger, giving the win to Luger, which makes things interesting. Ming's not happy about it. So that might be actually probably maybe my favorite Luger match mainly because he didn't do, like, he didn't wasn't involved in a lot of the things I liked. I put that in between uh, Arn and Pillman's tag match and DDP versus Bad. So where are we here? Arn and Pillman's tag match, which is currently 15. DDP versus Johnny B. Bad, 17. Well, okay. Uh, the question is, is it better than Hogan and Savage? I'm going to say yes. Weirdly enough, because the wrestling in Hogan and Savage is bad, but no, yes, I'm right. The wrestling in Hogan and Savage is bad, but the storytelling is good. In this match, the wrestling was decent and the storytelling was good. So Ming versus Lex Luger. Is this Luger's top match according to me? Yes. And it also means that Ming is in here two times in the top 20, which seems... Again, because it's me, just right. 57. <laughs> uh, main event of the 95 pay-per-view. Hogan versus Giant. The Giant has been thrown off of Kobo Hall, and yet miraculously, he walks to the ring because, you know, 50-foot falls don't bother this man. Um... You know, he was in great shape. This is Hogan's dark period. This is pre-NWO. But obviously, the Hulkamania thing has run thin. He comes to WCW. There's a lot of hoopla. Um, you know, it's exciting at first. And then we really, the wrestling fans got really, like we'd been seeing the same Hulkamania for a decade at this point, And they got tired of it. And I think they tried to keep it fresh by having him while fighting the Dungeon of Doom, embrace his dark side and start wearing black. Um, he comes to the ring wearing the same face paint as the Taskmaster Hogan does. I don't know why. Like, I feel like there was a part of the story that I missed. It almost feels like Hogan and Kevin Sullivan should have been the kayfabe brothers, not Kevin and Dave. Because, you know... Sullivan's in, in red and yellow. I don't remember him being like, I'm the anti-Hulk Hogan. I don't remember that being ever part of the story. He wanted to end Hulkamania. But maybe I'm missing something. Enlighten me if I'm missing something. Supposedly, this is the Giants' first television match. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, Hogan's not refusing to take some moves. Maybe because it's the Giants' first match. I don't know. Uh, he does manage to slam the Giant, which is better than... Uh, the slam of Andre was, and now it's Jimmy Hart's time to turn, and then, my friends, 
the best part of this match. In fact, maybe the best part of any WCW pay-per-view ever in history. The Yeti. The Yeti lumbers to the ring wearing his bathroom tissue. Um, I don't have the Nitro book out with... I should look it up. Bear with me. Bear with me because... I want to f- see if I can find this quote. I should have saved it somewhere. Kindle ebooks. Bring me. Nope. Where's my library? How do I find my library? Kindle Unlimited. Oh, no. Browse the catalog. Manage your membership. I could probably just look for the book itself. I'm sorry. This is worth it. This is worth it to me. Nitro, there we go. Kindle edition. Read now. Hello, neighbor. I have the window open. I'm in the, you know, the craft room again. Um, And let's see. Let me find it in here. I'm in the craft room again, and I have the window open. So, you know, it's like 6.40 p.m. All right, here we go. Page 59. For many fans, it was a farcical visual setting the stage despite his fall. The the giant miraculously returned to face Hogan in the ring, but after a plodding 13-minute encounter, a newcomer labeled the Yeti lumbered into the fray. What followed can be best described as resembling a fever dream. The Yeti attacked Hogan from behind with some aggressive hugging, while Giant throttled the champion with his bare hands. In a convoluted and cartoonish finish, the title changed hands on a disqualification. Um, I love it. I hate it and I love it at the same No, I don't. I love it. The match itself, not good. But the Yeti, the Yeti coming out is everything I love from Wrestle Silly. I said it was the second best match of that show purely because of the Yeti. And really, I want to make it ahead of JL and Sabu, but I won't. But I won't. Um, but we'll put it... Oh, goodness. Where will we put it? Um, I'll put it below Scott Hall and Lex... Wait a second here. Where's Arn Anderson? And Do I have this wrong? Did I mess this up? I've, I've screwed up my rankings. So I have Arn and Pillman at 15, Meng and Luger at 16, JL and Sabu I have way down at 33. So, I got that wrong somehow. I must have decided that the car crash wasn't as good. Um, Do I move something? I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. Because JL and Sabu had mo. It was a spot fest. Which is not necessarily a great thing you want to see. And because this gives me... You know what? I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. I'm putting it at number 10. This is the 10th best match. And I'm not going to call it Hogan versus Giant. I am just going to write Yeti with like 17 eyes. And that's my number 10. Because I do love some Wrestle Silly. And that is perhaps as silly as you can possibly get. From 57 to 75, the opening match of 98's Halloween Havoc, Raven... Versus Chris Jericho. Uh, This is fairly close 
to when Raven eventually leaves. You know, Eric Bischoff has a meeting in which he basically says, anyone who doesn't want to be here can leave. Just get out. I'll give you your release, which is something that Triple H should do. And it's something that Tony Khan should do. And it's actually probably something that Tony Khan should have done a while ago um, because, you know, six months to a year ago when Vince McMahon was still running the show, if Tony Khan had gotten up and said when we were hearing about some issues, and I grant you, many of the issues now are only appearing because Triple H is in charge. And so the Vince's out of touch narrative no longer works. So the the deep microscope that we're looking at wrestling went from WWE and we're criticizing, 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 criticizing. And now it has turned to AEW. I grant you that. Because now who's the quote unquote worst owner? It's not Triple H. It's Tony Khan. For now. Um, but if a year ago, in, the, in Vince McMahon still running the show, if Tony Khan had had a meeting and said, if anyone really honestly does not want to be here, here's the door, I'll give you your release, no hard feelings, some people would have left, sure. But a lot of people wouldn't, and it would have been a nice thing to be like, look, we all want to be here, don't we? Yes, we all want to be here. We want this to be good. Let's work together to make this good, because we've just proven that we all want to be here. If Tony Khan did that now... I'll be conservative and say a quarter of his roster would leave. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name names and assume so-and-so wants to go back, so-and-so wants to do something else. All I'm going to say is, you know, it might be a little too late at this point. Uh, but Raven did it. Bischoff got in front of everybody and said, if you want a release, I'll give it to you. And Raven was the only person to take it, interestingly enough, because... People want that money, money. Uh, Jericho's a heel here. He's got the top ponytail, which is great. Raven, like I said, doesn't seem like he wants to be there. Apparently, I looked it up. He apparently had still 10 more months before he left. Um, it was a match that felt like it was just kind of killing time. The announcers don't even know what Raven's story is. You know, clearly that wasn't very well explained. Um, I love Raven's DDT. It's up there with Jake's for me and Arn's uh, for me in terms of all-time DDTs. And a good DDT is not a move people should kick out of. Um, the match was good, but there weren't a whole lot of stakes. I don't know why I should care. Jericho wins. Canyon was out there at the end. And again, I don't know why. Um, so uh, I said it was fine. I said it was just above that Scott Steiner giant tag match. And below a match, did we do Disco versus Kidman yet? We did. All right. So, Scott and the Giant tag match is 44. Disco and Kidman is 40. 40. Uh, so I'll put it, again, somewhere in the middle. I will say it was better than uh, Austin versus Duggan, and I feel good about that. But not as good as Scorpio and Bagwell versus the Nasty Boys, and I feel good about that. I will be glad. I'm loving this, and I have other ideas of things I want to do with kind of this format, but I'll be glad this is done. This was a lot to do kind of on short notice. Let's go to the match that took place right after uh, 
Steve Austin versus Jim Duggan. And this is, for me, my favorite match of the 94 Halloween Havoc. Vader versus the Guardian Angel. Because let us not let us not forget that the boss man leaves and goes to the WCW. At first, he's the man or the boss, and there's some legal issues. I think WWF didn't want him doing that. It was too close. So then he becomes the guardian angel. He's got a red jacket. He's got a beret. He's patrolling the streets. It was such a weird gimmick. But boss man versus Vader is an all-time Haas fight. Um you know, he comes out in his beret. He stands for law and order because that apparently you're allowed to say with the boss man about the boss man without being too much boss man. Um, Sting doesn't wrestle on this show. He's in the crowd sitting with Muhammad Ali. Now, maybe he's injured. I honestly don't know. Maybe he's injured or maybe they just didn't book him on this show. Um, you know, made me ponder what would have happened if he went to WWF when Hogan went to WCW, what if they had kind of switched places? And now you have, like, I'm imagining Brett's champion, Yoko's there, Luger's in the mix, and all of a sudden Sting shows up. That'd have been fun. That'd have been fun. Uh, Vader and Harley Race, an all-time pairing. Uh, I'm going to call him the boss man because that's who he is. At one point, he slaps Vader, which I thought to be a bold choice. Um, he slams Vader onto Harley Race. Harley Race, what a legend. Uh, you know, the, this is a match where the guardian angel has a lot of offense and it made me wonder if Vader was on his way. When did Vader leave? Did I look that up? I actually think, uh, this match was entertaining enough that I didn't bother looking it up, even though I was curious. That's how you can tell a good match. If, if I have the time to pause and turn my attention to my computer to look things up, then, you know. It, clearly, it wasn't that great of a match. If it's something where I don't bother looking up a question that I have, obviously, the match was really good. Uh, Vader was part of the Monday Nitro title video, but he was taken out. Oh, no, he wasn't taken out. Uh, let's see, 95. All right, so he was there through 95. Um, so... Obviously, I'm assuming this was just a let's get the guard, let's try to get the guardian angel over by having him beat up our biggest guy, and it worked. You know, it was great. Although I'm pretty sure at one point Vader legit knocks out Ray Trailer. Um, you know, hits him with I want to say it was a clothesline or something, and uh, Vader's trying to sell an arm injury, but Boss Man went down like a sack of potatoes and did not move for a little bit of time. So I'm wondering if maybe he got knocked out or maybe he just got like legit stunned. But it was a good match, a spine buster uh, by the Angel. Then he hits a splash. He attacks Rice. Tax Vader hits a splash. I I thought it was great. It was it was. Uh, by far, I think, my favorite match of this. So, you know, we're talking better than Arn Anderson versus Dustin, which is my seventh match. Uh, I'm going to put it at... Hmm, I'll put it at four. I will put it at four. I'm going to put it above that Midnight's and Steve Williams versus the Samoan SWAT team match, um, but uh, less than that great... Austin Rhodes match. So Austin and Rhodes was a better probably match. This was the fight, you know. And now Vader's got two matches in my top five. 
his match with Cactus Jack in 93, and this match with Guardian Angel. So we're starting to see a trend here. Vader shows up, Dustin Rhodes shows up, the Steiners show up. I clearly like big wrestlers who are slapping meat. Clearly that's how I roll. Uh, let's move on to number 59. We've ranked 81 matches. You know, we're not, again, not anywhere close to done. Uh, Eddie Guerrero shows up again. This is 96, and he is taking on DDP in the battle for the Battle Bowl ring. Remember the Battle Bowl ring? You do the lethal lottery. So you're teamed up with a random person. If you win that match, you go into a battle royal, and the winner gets a ring, which I've never, I don't care about rings. I lost my high school ring, which had a cool onyx stone. Um, I'm still shocked 11 years in. Is it 11? What, next year? Yeah, next year will be 12. Uh, I'm still shocked that I'm wearing my wedding ring. Um, I've never been a jewelry person. Um, but it's a battle for the ring. DDP, Eddie Guerrero. Eddie still looks like Hector in this. You know, his hair is not slicked back. He hasn't lost the weight. Um, DDP's a heel. I would have assumed by October of 96 he'd have turned. Um, you know, Nick Patrick's got the neck brace. Uh, I made a note that DDP should have used the DDT. Um, they kept mentioning that Slim Jim's ring posts were covered. Uh, it was entertaining. Nothing special. Um, and then, you know, DDP hits a bit of offense. He hits an awkward diamond cutter, and he wins. And it was kind of random. And it turned out, I had to look it up after the fact, Eddie suffered a legit injury. He was supposed to win, um, but he suffered an injury, and they ad-libbed, and DDP got the win. So, you know, it, I said fine to good. Fine to good. It was fifth out of eight. So, you know, not great, but, again, not bad. So this would be... I said less than, again, I don't remember what matches I've covered and what matches I haven't covered. I feel like I talked about the Outsiders already, didn't I? There we go. So Outsiders in Harlem Heat is 21. I said it was less than that, but ahead of Six and Jericho. So Six and Jericho is, where is that? 49. Oh, I got a, so I got a big place to, to play here. Um, so less than that. So again, not a bad match, fine to good, but nothing super entertaining. I will say, doot, doot, do, do. I will put it at 34. I will give this my lucky number for right now, bumping Ron Simmons and the Barbarian uh, out a spot. And kind of that, you know, once we get into the 30s, that's kind of... Oops, I keep adding extra... Mm. Slow down. DDP versus Eddie Guerrero. All right. Number is next. 99. 99, 99. Ugh. I get more Lash LaRue, at least. Uh, but this time he's Corporal Cajun, teaming with Lieutenant Loco to take on Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak. The entire purpose of this match, I am pretty sure, is to remind us that Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak are having trouble as a team. And as someone who couldn't give two dams about the fact that Chuck Palumbo and Sean Stasiak are a team, uh, this match did nothing for me. Uh, it was kind of a last-minute addition. Uh, you know, the only match that 
the only part of this match I liked was Chavo runs into the ring, dives in between the mid, the middle rope and the bottom rope, rolls and like makes it to his feet. That was the best part of the whole match. It was below Jarrett and Sting. That's how bad this was. And we still haven't gotten to some of the really bad uh, matches here. So, let's put it... Did I have it above Mike Sanders versus the Cat? No, well below Mike Sanders versus the Cat. Once again, I've got some of these things backwards here. I'm going to make a switch. I am going to switch some things. Mike Sanders versus the cat. And then I am going to move this around. So Mike Sanders versus the cat has been bumped up to number 67. Jeff Jarrett versus Sting is being moved down to number 71. One spot above Bret Hart versus Sting. But now I'm going to put this Palumbo-Stasiak match, which was pointless, but at least it wasn't offensive, above Bret Hart versus Sting, which, in my mind, wanting to see that match very badly, was a little offensive. All right, that one's done. We go down to 97. So we're staying there, and we get to the opening match of 2000, which was thankfully the best part of that whole pay-per-view, as was the, as was the case. Uh, this did not feature Three Count or the Young Dragons, but we, if you remember, the end of WCW had usually a good match in the opening match or two, and then it just turned to crap. Um, this was the Boogie Knights, Disco and Alex Wright again, versus Jindrak and O'Hare, and you know how I feel about Sean O'Hare, versus Kidman and Rey Mysterio. So on paper, you've got Disco, who's a dink, but at least is, you know, he's below the Horner line, but he's at least decent. Again, not offensive as a wrestler. Alex Wright, decent. Mark Jindrak, decent. Sean O'Hare, Love me some Sean O'Hare. And then you have Kidman and Ray, who are both great. I think Kidman's a Hall of Famer. Ray's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so, you know, Alex Wright is bald because this is post-Berlin, which is entertaining. Um, you know, they're advertising WCW Backstage Assault, which I remember playing. Uh, Disco's wearing wrestling shoes. Ray's pants are falling down. You can tell these are the things I'm noting as this match is happening. Uh, Sean O'Hare hits a great Mishinoku driver. It was a spot fest, but the effort was great. The ending is sloppy, as you would expect. These are some young wrestlers, and some you know none of them are ring generals yet. And then we get a Shantan bomb. So enjoyable as 2,000 matches go. Enjoyable. So I put it above Anderson uh, Awesome versus Vampiro, which is. Number 28. I'm going to put this at 27. Honky Tonk versus... Uh, Johnny B. Bad is kind of the standard I'm setting for quality matches at 26. It's not quite there, but it's one spot below. We'll put it at 27. 56. 56. Oh, please let this be the last Lex Luger match. Please. Honestly, he's here so often I can't take it anymore. Uh, this is 95. <laughs> the match leading up to that great 
uh, Hogan Giant match. This is this is what had to follow the monster trucks and then lead into them going again in a wrestling match. Uh, and this was, you know, Randy Savage wrestled Zodiac, Lex Luger wrestled Ming. They both won, so they get to wrestle each other. Um, as I wrote two Lex matches, what did I do wrong? The cra- uh, the announcers are not talking about this at all because they are selling the fact that we watched a wrestler die, which again, in hindsight doesn't age well and I posted that on Twitter and I got taken to task because uh, people were like well we didn't know what was they didn't know what was going to happen and that's great it still doesn't age well that doesn't mean I'm wrong it just means I'm not faulting them for it I'm just saying it doesn't age well um you know Jimmy Hart who's out for reasons gets hit with Lex and then a top rope elbow I don't remember that at all uh, it's the it's just above monster trucks for me, uh, and I'm going to put it at uh, 78. Uh, not as good as Sid versus Sting. Sid versus Sting had a stupid ending, but at least was watchable. I can't tell you what happened in this match. The only thing I remember is them talking about the giant dying. So we'll put it at 78 out of 85. Not good. Lex Luger's least ranked match on my list so far. Dear God, please let it be over. Number 18. We're in 91. Jimmy Garvin versus Johnny B. Bad. Um, 1991 Halloween Havoc takes place in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And let me tell you something. I've never been to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've been to Bristol, Tennessee. And I've driven through the very eastern edge of Tennessee a couple of times. But I'll tell you right now, the 91 Chattanooga Halloween Havoc crowd had no need for a man that looked like Johnny B. Bad with the makeup and the hair and the robe and the sparklers. They wanted nothing to do with that guy. Uh, Then the Freebirds come out. I think Michael Hayes is in Jimmy Garvin's corner for this. And the crowd loved them. (laughs) <laughs> For some reason, the Freebirds, very popular in the South. Um, you know, and they kind of, you know, went with it. You know, Johnny B. Bad and Teddy Long. Teddy Long's out with Johnny B. Bad. They kind of leaned into playing heels, which made me wonder, because again, I'm watching these totally out of context. Did Johnny B. Bad start out being a heel or did they kind of just lean into it? Because that's what, ha- you know, that's what good wrestling should be. If you notice that the crowd's really into Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 18, then you as The Rock turn heel, if only for that match. That's how it should be. Bad hits a top rope sunset flip, which was bad. You know, this is very early in Mark Marrow's career. Not good. Not good. Gets the win with a distraction, but uh, only marginally better than Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. Um... And not nearly as good as Z-Man versus Halloween Phantom. So I'm going to put this way, way down. Even that opening, even that Charlie Norris opening match was slightly better. Uh, Zodiac versus Randy Savage at least was quick. Yeah, I'm putting it... Huh. Yep, nope, that was at least the... they They like the heels. I'm going to put it... Above Randy Savage versus Lex Luger because, and again, this goes back to what we've kind of talked about this whole time when it comes to expectations. 
on paper, Savage and Luger should be good, should be at least decent, and it wasn't. Jimmy Garvin versus rookie Johnny B. Bad, people understood if that match wasn't great, and it wasn't great. Going back to 1990, uh, Arn Anderson teaming with Ric Flair. This is again 1990, October of 90. Um, teaming with Arn Anderson to take on Doom. This is Doom's second appearance, and they're managed now by Teddy Long. Um, they have their names now, and they don't have masks. So this is Butch Reed and Ron Simmons as Doom. So the masks are gone. Woman is gone. Um, and I feel like, when did Ric Flair leave WCW? Not April 98. No, no. No, no, no. When did he leave? Uh, January 26. Flair was supposed to pull out. 2013. Oh. August of 91. Okay. So, yeah. Within a year, he's gone. So, you know, not as close as I thought. And I don't know if he was doing the Black Scorpion thing at this point. But either way. Um... You know, this was a match to get Doom over. Doom was kind of dominating there, Arn and Flair. Uh, it ended in a double countout. I said, good enough. And sadly, not a match that I really uh, remember, though enough to be second on the list, mainly because the 90 Halloween Havoc was not great. So where is Stan Hansen Lex Luger? Because I put it above that. So let's start there. So Stan Hansen and Lex Luger is 44. Steiners versus Nasties is way high up there. So let's see. <clears throat> I'll put it above Disco Inferno versus Lash LaRue. <coughs> Excuse me. But below um, Brian Pillman versus Richard Morton. Uh, my voice is starting to go, and we're approaching an hour. So... You know, I taught all day, and now I'm doing this. So we're going to end it here. We're at 87. I'm going to try to get, uh, well, let's see what 32 is. If 32 is good, we've, we've reached that point. If 32 is good, then we'll end it. 32 is the main event of the 91, uh, no, 92. And it's good on paper. And much like many other Sting matches, not good in real life. Sting did not have a good Halloween Havoc run. And we will end it here because this is funny enough. Uh, at least this part. We're not ending the episode here. I'll be back when my voice is a little stronger and record more. Uh, spin the wheel, make the deal. Jake Roberts versus Sting, coal miners, glove match. Jake's looking pudgy. Jake is out of shape. This is... This, and after this, he kind of disappears for a while until maybe he shows up in ECW until 96, you know, born again, Jake. Um, the coal miner's glove is way high up. I do not know why we ask uh, wrestlers to climb poles. I don't know. Um, it's supposed to be a non-sanctioned match. And in my mind, a non-sanctioned match should not have an arm bar. A non-sanctioned match should be a fight. There should not be a lot of wrestling moves in a non-sanctioned match. That should be a fight. Um, Jake seems kind of out of it. 
there's some miscommunications, there's awkward moments, and then eventually Cactus comes out with the snake, the snake bites Jake, eh, it was bad. It was a really bad match. I, I feel for Sting because, you know, this is, this is not good. This is not good, not good, not good. Uh, currently, Sting's worst match, according to me, is his matchup with Sid, which, again, feels weird that the Bret Hart one is a little better. I got to put this at worse. This is, this is Hogan versus Piper level. This is Hogan Warrior level bad. But it's, is it better than the monster trucks? Oh my God, uh, barely better than the monster trucks. We're going to put this at 84. This is the fifth worst match. In, uh, and again, part of it is, it's the main event. There's supposed to be this huge build, and that match was, it was, you know, it was terrible. So I'm putting it at 84. I'm saying it was the uh, fifth worst match as of now. Uh, in Halloween Havoc history. And, uh, you know, we got about 20, less than 20 more to go, friends. So I'm going to end this part here. We'll take a little bit of a break. I'll be back to uh, share the rest of this. There's still, I think, a match or two that's going to get into our top spot. So I'm glad it's made it this long. This is all legit. I don't lie about these things. I don't pre-plan them. So looking forward to chatting with you next, next time. time. Relax, Relax, pause, pause, get a drink, drink, take a break, break, contemplate contemplate your navel. navel. I'll talk to you in just a few. few. And now I'm talking to you from way in the future. It's like three or four days later. No, four days later. Maybe even five days later. Do I sound different? Do I sound aged and grizzled way here in the future? I certainly hope not. I hope I sound young and vigorous, full of vigor. And vitamin water welcome back um didn't wasn't a lot of time for you was a little bit of time for me uh the week got away from me as weeks so often do this year uh but we have returned and there are only you know not a ton of uh matches left to do so man I have just ruined something. I've just ruined it. Yep. It's ruined. Uh, So what I did was I had uh, unredacted the remaining matches. And I just accidentally spoiled for myself what the last match will be. And... uh, yeah, found out what it was supposed to be, and that can't be the last match. That would just, it just can't be. So I just went ahead, randomized the remaining matches, uh, redacted them once again, so that way that will not happen. If we're going to go out with a whimper, I want it to be an honest reaction of going out with a whimper. I don't want to know ahead of time that things are going to end anticlimactically. But. Uh, This is more for my own benefit than yours. Let me take a look at where we are here. Uh, We are 88 matches in of the 107. Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio is at the top. Then Vader and Cactus, Austin and Rhodes, Vader and the Guardian Angel, Midnight's and Willems versus Samoan SWAT team, Austin and Rhodes again, Nasties versus Steiners, Arn Anderson and Rhodes, Steiner Brothers versus Doom, and then Ming versus Wrath in the top 10, with 11 being the appearance of the Yeti. 
Uh, obviously, there still needs to be some more. Ming and Wrath can't be a top 10 match. It just can't be. Uh, so, obviously, there's some good matches awaiting us and some not-so-good matches. At least the two that I did not finish, uh, we've already talked about. So, hopefully, that bottom of the list is pretty set. Uh, we begin with the 89th match in Halloween Havoc history, number 48... What will number 48 be? It will be the main event of uh, Halloween Havoc 94 in a steel cage with careers on the line, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. Again, as we've talked about many times in these episodes, uh, we have to deal with the the specter of expectation. The expectation. Uh, Hogan and Flair should be an all-time match. They are arguably the two greatest wrestlers of the 1980s. Um, you could... Uh, can you argue they're the two greatest wrestlers of the early 90s? I don't know if you can argue that. But certainly the 80s uh, were the eras that Hogan and Flair built among many others. But this is 1994. It's in a steel cage. Mr. T is there for reasons. Um, it's a seven-foot-tall piece of junk cage. Uh, you know, there's a lot going wrong here. And not to mention just my distaste for Hulk Hogan. Um, however, however, my summation at the bottom, is that I hate that I liked it. This is fourth out of the eight matches, so it's not bad. Um, you know, there's celebrities in the crowd. They're obviously trying to make this the biggest thing in, in WCW history. It's Hogan versus Flair. I think this is a show where, like, Ali's in the crowd. Um, you know, uh, the match isn't bad. Again... As Hogan matches go, there's a story being told, even though the ring action isn't great. Uh, Sensational Sherry, again, is that moment necessary in, 90, in in hindsight? No. Was it a good moment at the time? I am sure. Then she dives off the cage. Let's ignore the fact that the cage is only seven feet tall. She dives off the cage without shoes on. Um and then a masked guy shows up, and we get a silly ending, and it turns out, I had forgotten this happened, uh, that it's Brudai. And that Brutus Beefcake turns on Hulk Hogan, because, as having read the Nitro book, they needed to set up somebody else uh, to challenge Hogan for the main event, and because Flair's career <laughs> was going to be over back in 94. Um, and they went with Brutus. They went with Brutus. Uh, so, oh, but then John Tenta showed up. The Dungeon of Doom shows up with John Tenta. How can I hate it if John Tenta is there? The Earthquake, they can't call him that. Then they try to call him Avalanche, and that doesn't work either. So then he becomes Shark. And the greatest team that never has been is Shark and Shark Boy. Uh, so, I hate that I liked it. So let's see. Um... It was better, I said, than Honky Tonk Man versus Johnny B. Bad, which is fairly high up on my list. Uh, it's, in, it's at 26. So this is going to be a top 25 match, oddly enough, uh, but less than Arn versus Rhodes, which is at number 8. 
Um, I don't think it was as good as Arn and Pillman versus Sting and Flair. That match had more talent. And I also don't know that it was better than Hogan versus Savage at 19. But I I can't even say it was better than DDP versus Savage. I'm going to put it at 23. This poor Masaharu. Masa Chono, not Masaharu Marimoto, the Iron Chef. This poor Chono rude match keeps getting dropped further and further down the list. We'll put Hogan and Flair at 23. So Hogan's got two matches at least in the top 25. And I'd like to say, for me, that's impressive. He also has one in the bottom five, uh, two in, nope, three in the bottom ten. So that's much more how I think about him. All right, what's next? 95. Did I check this off? Let me check this off. I did debate for this last one going chronologically, but then I would have to end in um, 2000, and I'm not willing to do that. Ric Flair, we're going to do another Ric Flair match. This is from, I think, 99. This is Ric Flair versus DDP in a strap match. Why? I don't know. It was 99. They were almost done. Um, it's a strap match, but they're able to pin each other. I, okay. Let's go on our first tangent of this portion of the episode as we enter into the second hour. I understand that necessity is the mother of invention. And I understand that a, an elimination chamber came out of a hell in a cell, which came out of a steel cage. I understand all of that. Money in the bank came out of a ladder match. So all of, well, I won't say that. Some of the best gimmick matches of all time were variations on a theme. However, a strap match to me, the reason you do a strap match is the same reason you do a cage. Um, and it's that the heel is dodging the baby face and you need to be strapped together. Now, I don't remember if this was because there's actually two different kinds of strap matches, if I, if I remember correctly. You have the strap match where you're strapped to each other. And then you have a strap match where each of you just has like a, a strap attached to your wrist. You're not attached to each other. You just have essentially a leather whipping stick, um, which is even dumber. But in my mindset, a strap match needs to end by touching all four ring posts successively. So when you have a strap match, but that also needs pins, in my head, I, I find that weird. But I think that's more of a me problem than a them problem. Um, they did go through the crowd while connected with the straps, which had to be awkward. Uh, another Ric Flair forcing himself on Kimberly, which doesn't age well, especially the commentary on it. I'm surprised that there's not a pushback to go delete that stuff. You would think, I don't think they should. I think you show warts and all what, what wrestling was like. But I would think that some of the super PC police would be like, no, you should go back and get rid of that. It's offensive. They should get rid of the Renegade Warriors. Um, this match follows, is this the main event? No, Sting and Goldberg was the main event. This match uh, goes in between the Goldberg matches. So you have Sid and Goldberg, then this, then Sting versus Goldberg. 
Now, in the Sid and Goldberg match, Sid bleeds everywhere. They eventually stop the match due to blood. Ric Flair bleeds. Why? Why? Besides, that's just something that Ric Flair does. Um, I don't think it happened accidentally. I think it was done on purpose. I just don't understand why you needed color two matches in a row, especially when Sid's blood was everywhere. Flair, they could have skipped that stuff. Um, at one point, Kimberly is wincing as she watches. I'm assuming DDP get uh, st- you know, whipped by the strap. That was probably her best acting ever. Uh, it's funny. I don't remember if it was this show or a different show. They had the Nitro Girls dancing multiple times. You can see the terror in Kimberly's eyes as she's trying to do these routines. Obviously not the same level of dancer as the others, as Whisper, as Che, as Storm, Fire, Earth, Wind, Water, Heart, Captain Planet. Um, It was a boring match on a boring show. And, you know, all of a sudden, a a diamond cutter is hit with the strap wrapped around the neck. Charles Robinson, you know, I think thought there was supposed to be a kick out because he kind of stopped and then kept going. It was weird. Not good. I said uh, second to worst match on that show, which is saying something. So I put it above. Let me look here. Did we do? I've forgotten which matches we've covered and which matches we haven't. Um. Have we done... No, we haven't done that one yet. So it's the worst one that we've talked about so far. Uh, I put it below Sting versus Hogan, which was just like a finger poke. And Sting versus Hogan is, goodness, 68 out of 89. So I said that stupid match was 20 better than the worst one. Um, So we're looking at in the 70s here... Uh, again, Zodiac versus Randy Savage was faster. Jarrett and Sting was at least interesting. Um, was it better than Bret Hart? No. Was it better than Mondo versus uh, Mongo versus Alex Wright? No. Was it better than Randy Savage versus Lex Luger? Let's say yes to that at least. Let's say yes to that. Let's put it at eighty-one. Ric Flair versus DDP, 81st out of now 90. So it's in the bottom 10 for matches, in my uh, opinion. Of course, you know, you can go back, watch them all, do your own ranking, and then we can compare notes. Uh, Number 16, what a ridiculous match um, that happened here. This is from 91. So WCW's roster clearly not full enough to have a whole roster of talent. So they had a squash match um, featuring the creatures. I will give them credit for doing a Halloween-themed jobber tag team. Credit to them for that. Um, It was the creatures. I think Joey Maggs is one of them. I couldn't tell you who the other one is. Uh, Taking on the, the odd couple team of PN News, the wrestling rapper, and Big Josh who is the wrestling lumberjack, who would then go on to be Doink the Clown. It's Matt Bourne. Um, I'm not going to say the huevos, but either. One of two things happened here. Either somebody in the booking committee or on the writing team said, hey, we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1991. 
let's put a rapper out there because that'll be really funny to watch the crowd react to a rapper in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Or number two, somebody on the writing team said, hey, you know what this crowd in Chattanooga is going to love? A wrestling rapper from the Pacific Northwest. That's the ticket. It was weird. Um, they're not a bad team. Matt Bourne is a good wrestler. PN News was a decent um, wrestler. I'd like to watch him. I'm going to tweet out a dream match right now. Uh, I just saw highlights from NXT uh, leading into... I'm. This is being recorded the day of Halloween Havoc. Um, so... Uh, what's his name? Quincy NXT Quincy Elliott? Is that it? Quincy Elliott, yes. So Quincy Elliott is going to be one of the co-hosts of NXT Halloween Havoc. I'm ex I appreciate that they have someone who looks like him on the roster. I'm interested to see what they do, and I think he should take on PN News. That is the tweet that I'm sending out now. If you happen to see it, at around 1.36 on, on the Saturday of Halloween Havoc, uh, you'll know when I'm recording this episode. Um, it was a squash match, which made it decent. So, you know, squash matches have their place. I put this at 5 out of 11. I put this at 5 out of 11 um, on my rankings of the 91. It was better than Oz versus Kazmaier, and gosh darn it, it was better than... Uh, Ron Simmons versus Lex Luger. Again, it was shorter, and it told the story it needed to tell trying to get over this team. Uh, I put it under Pillman versus Morton, which is currently ranked at number 39. But I put it above Patriots and Enforcers, which is currently at number 52. Um, dude, dude, I'm not going to say it was as good as Stan Hansen versus Lex Luger or Scorpio Bagwell and the Nasty Boys. I will put it at number 49 above uh, Austin versus Duggan. So News and Josh versus Creatures. Number 49. All right, what is next? Next is number 71. That was what was going to start us off uh, this episode until I spoiled it for myself. Uh, we are getting from 90, this has to be what, 97, right? Yeah, 97. Uh, we are getting Ric Flair again. Another Ric Flair match. Uh, but this time taking on Kurt Henning. Kurt Henning has one of the Nature Boy's robes. He's cut the arms off, which I guess makes him cool. Uh, they start off with a nice brawl. Ric Flair gets his robe back. I do think it's interesting. I miss when Charlotte did the natural selection. I don't know if she you know, just stopped doing that for whatever reason. I know she does the figure four, figure eight. That makes sense. But what makes me laugh about her using the natural selection, A, it's a good move, and B, that's a Kurt Henning move. That's a Kurt Henning move. And I could very easily see an alternate universe where WCW won and we get a storyline in which Flair and Henning are fighting to see who the real father of Ashley Flair, a.k.a. Charlotte, is. That absolutely could have happened. Um, they're both working each over the, the each other's legs, and then they fade. As you would expect, these guys are no spring chickens. Um, the match got kind of boring. It's not new school speed. There's not a huge story. 
Uh, I remember them tearing the house down at one of the first Raws in 93. I think Henning actually is the one who, you know, it's a loser leaves WWF match and Henning beats, Mr. Perfect beats Ric Flair. Um, you know, at one point, uh, Henning is obviously going for the perfect plex and they, they're like, maybe he's going for a suplex. Maybe he's going for a brain buster. How do you not know what he's going to do? I don't understand that. Uh, at one point, uh, Kurt Henning is in the Tree of Woe. Ric Flair has a belt. I think Kurt Henning is a champion at this point. I can't remember. He puts the belt onto Kurt's face. Now, the Tree of Woe, I remind you, his legs are kind of trapped, but his hands are free. And at no point does Kurt Henning reach up to pull the belt off of his face. Ric Flair, I think, stomps on the belt, gets himself disqualified. Which, from a story perspective, makes sense. He shouldn't care about winning. So I give him that. But it was a disappointing match. Again, the specter of expectation. Uh, you expect these two to be amazing, and it wasn't. Um, it was fifth out of nine. I put it smack dab in the middle of this show. Which, you know, not a bad show, as Halloween Havocs go. So it has that going for it. Uh, Scott Hall versus Lex Luger, which I put it above, is at 43. Um, Savage DDP is at 22, so probably somewhere in the 30s. Let's put it... All right, I put it ahead... Again, I must have messed up here. I've got Jericho and Gato below DDP and Savage, despite the fact that I ranked the 97 matches with Jericho and Gato ahead. I don't care enough to fix it. Uh, let's put it below, no, let's put it below Mr. JL and Sabu, which was a match that I did enjoy. So we're putting it 39, Kurt Henning versus Ric Flair. It is currently at 39. Not a terrible spot. Not a terrible spot. Number 38. Number 38. It is great. 38. Uh... We get another rematch here. We've seen this match before. We're going to see it again. We're now in 93. And once again, we are getting the man called Sting versus the man called Sid. Uh, this happened earlier. Barry Windham comes out to pretend to be Sting. Um, this is a match in which we're trying to determine who is the franchise of WCW. Is it Sting or is it Sid? I'd like to point out that it's 1993, which means that just a year ago at the 92 Royal Rumble, um, Sid was part of the WWF. So trying to determine who the franchise of a promotion is when somebody was within the last 18 months in a different promotion, you kind of answer the question right away. Obviously, Sting is the franchise. This match was way better than the first one. I said it was goodish. Uh, Sting comes out with a new look. He's now in sequin denim, which is at least new compared to his looks for the last couple of Halloween Havocs, which are pretty much the same. Um, you know, he this surfer Sting is very similar to John Cena. It's a similar outfit. Occasionally they change the color. Occasionally they change, you know, some of the look. But it's pretty much you know what you're going to get. Sid hits a very weak chair shot. He's still popular. Um, at one point, the match ends. Uh, they're, you know, 
tussling near the ropes. There's some sort of, you know, I don't remember if it was a small package or what. Uh, Colonel Parker tries grabs Sid's foot instead of Sting's foot by quote-unquote mistake, and Sting gets the pin. Um, Sid obviously turns babyface here against Colonel Parker, uh, but unfortunately, before we know what's going to happen with that, he and Arn Anderson stab each other with scissors, and Sid leaves the company. So we never really got to know what was going to happen. I'm sure Sid would have been big. Uh, fourth out of eight, uh, below Austin and Rhodes, and above Orndorff and Steamboat. So this is going to be a, a, up there. Orndorff and Steamboat is 25, so we're going to have a top 25 match. Austin and Rhodes is from 93 is our third. So we're going to be, let's see. Was it better than Ming versus Lex Luger? Probably. Is it better than the Chamber of Horrors? I, I hesitate to put anything above the Chamber of Horrors because the Chamber of Horrors was so silly. But this match, and maybe it's just because I feel slightly bad that I've been so mean to Sting, I'm going to put it at number 16. Uh, so now Sting has spot, he has spot 16, 17, and 18. There's the 93 match Sid versus Sting, then the Chamber of Horrors, then Sting and Flair versus Arn and Pillman. I can't say it was better than Vader and Nikita Koloff because it wasn't. Uh, but I can say it was better than all the others. So we will put it at number 16. So it is written. From 38 to 68. Well, friends, I had hoped that this would get saved to the end. I really did. But unfortunately, it did not. Let's go to 1997. Let's go to the best match of that pay-per-view. And let's go to... I'm sorry that we're burying the lead an hour and 25 minutes in. The best match in Halloween Havoc history, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, in fact, you could argue that it might be one of the best matches in wrestling pay-per-view history in the 90s. Um, certainly probably one of the best in WCW history. It's great. It's fan Fantastic. I don't know that you needed to try to recreate it in a video game. I don't understand showcase mode. Um, I know a lot of my podcasts lately have been me poking holes in WWE 2K games. Um, but when you're, when you're playing a game and the objective is to let your opponent get offense in, we've missed something. We've missed the thread. Um, but this match is fantastic. Eddie Guerrero looks fantastic. He is absolutely... Uh, he looks a lot like Roman Reigns in this matchup. He's even carrying the belt similarly. Um, you know, you can, you can make a case that maybe he's on drugs at this time. So, you know, but he looks great. Mysterio, I want to say, is in kind of that phantom outfit because for the Halloween Havoc... Um, I don't need to read why this match is good. You know why this match is good. Go watch it again if you don't know. It's amazing. It's the number one match. Rey Mysterio is now currently uh, in possession of the first two spots. Mysterio and Guerrero at number one. Mysterio versus Malenko at number two. I don't think it's going to stay that way. But that's 
that's what it's going to be. I, there is one possible match that could take this, take, take the top spot. When we get to it, I'll talk about it. But I am fairly confident this is the match of this pay-per-view history. Um, Ray keeps trying to make comebacks. They keep getting stifled, which is good. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go into it too, too much. The match is as close to perfection as I think I saw in this quest. Go watch it. Even if you've seen it before, go watch it again. It's that good. Uh, from 68 to 8, we're jumping around with our ones place staying the same. The eighth match, another Sting match. My goodness, he was everywhere. And another Flair match. My goodness, he was everywhere. The main event of uh, Halloween Havoc 89, the very first one, we are in the Thunderdome. And again, I'm sorry I keep saying this phrase, but the specter of expectations. If you said to somebody, hey, we're going to watch a match. It's Sting teaming with Ric Flair to take on Terry Funk and the Great Muda. You would go, oh, well, this match is going to be amazing. I can't wait. Let's watch it. That's not what happened. This match is not good. Uh, supposedly, the cage is electrified. Note the use of the word supposedly. The managers have towels. They are the only ones who can end the match by throwing in the towel. Extra added gimmick not needed. Uh, Bruno Sammartino, because we're coming from Philadelphia, is there as an enforcer. Uh, you know, and, and the entrances are great. I love Great Muda's entrance. His entrance gear is amazing. Terry Funk looks great. Ric Flair's a baby face. Um, and before the match even starts, part of the cage catches on fire. Before the match starts, part of the cage catches on fire. You expect that in AEW. You don't expect that in the NWA. Uh, Muda saves it, though. He goes up there at one point and mists it. Like, he, you know, touches his neck and, and blows mist at the fire, which I thought was hilarious. But before the match even can start, there are people scrambling up to try to put this fire out. Um, Jim Ross is on commentary, taking shots at the Ultimate Warrior, talking about how far Sting has come in such a long time, and, you know, short time, sorry, how far he's come in such a short time, and his former partner didn't advance nearly as well, or something like that. Uh, they're climbing the cage a lot for the fact that it's electrified. Apparently, maybe the top was electrified, except maybe that fire kind of caused it to stop being electric. I don't know. The whole thing was weird. The managers are in the cage. Um, you know, it's the main event of this first pay-per-view of its kind, and the crowd's chanting boring. So, you know, Terry tries to save it. He's climbing the cage. Have I mentioned the ropes yet? Not the ring ropes. I'm not talking about the ring ropes. Have I mentioned the ropes like you're going uh, swimming at the lake and you want to swing on a rope off the cliff, you know, by the big oak tree? There are ropes hanging on the corners for people to climb and to you know hold on to and swing through the air because Tarzan wanted to make an appearance in this match, apparently. We had RoboCop later. Now it's Tarzan swinging on a rope. This match was silly. You have the great Muda. You could have used any number of ways to showcase the greatness that is Muda. This wasn't it. 
Sting hits a very nice dive at the top. The rope wasn't needed. Sting could have done it on his own. And, of course, because the managers have towels, there are some hijinks involved at the end. I honestly don't remember what the hijinks were because this match was so stupid. Um, I said it was meh. Having said that, I ranked it at 5 out of 8. So I haven't talked about all the matches yet. There's one. Nope, there's two more I have to talk about that are going to be worse than this. You have that to look forward to. Uh, I put it above Luger and Pillman, which is at 68 currently. Um, huh. I can't say it was better than Z-Man versus the Halloween Phantom. Rick Rude made some, you know, silly eyes. I can't say it was better than Ric Flair versus Rick Rude. I can't say it was better than The Wall versus Reno. I can't say it was better than Disco Inferno versus Jackie. I, it wasn't. It's going to go right above... Uh, this 89 match of Luger versus Pillman. And I will say Flair and Sting, it's going to go in at 68 versus Funk and Muda. Uh, yeah, not not great. Not great, not great. For eight. 101. Let's, let's, let's go talk about not great. Let's go back into, oh, God. Oh, oh, heavens, God. I want to go back to the Thunderdome. Please, let me go back to the Thunderdome. It's the DNA... I can't even say it. I almost threw up. It's the DNA match, everybody. It's the DNA match. You see, let me tell you a story in case you weren't watching the end of WCW there in 2000. You see, uh, David Flair was romantically involved with one Stacy Keebler. Stacy was pregnant. And for some reason, David Flair believed that the father might be Buff Bagwell. So in this match, they're trying to determine who's the father, and David's goal is to get a sample of Buff Bagwell's blood. Not hair, not any of that. He wants some blood so that he can go find out, do a DNA test to find out if Buff Bagwell is actually the father of Stacy Keebler's baby. This happened on a pay-per-view. They asked money, they asked people, I can't even talk, they asked people to pay money to watch a match that they could have seen by watching Jerry Springer or Maury Povich. Uh, the, the biggest thing I said about this is that Tony Schiavone needs to write a book. Tony Schiavone has lived through so much wrestling, I don't understand how he hasn't written a book. Maybe he has. I'm looking it up. Has Tony Schiavone written a book? Butts in Seats, the Tony Schiavone story. Okay. Apparently he wrote a book. I didn't know that. When did it come out? Publication date, December of 2021. Okay. Uh, if, I can, if I can read it for free on my Kindle, I would read this book but I am certainly not going to pay for it. Um, Prime members choose one free Kindle book each month. Interesting. So, yeah. So, I want to know at what point... To, oh, it's not... It's written by Dirk Manning, Tony Schiavone, and friends. Never mind. Who the hell is Dirk Manning? Visit Amazon's Dirk Manning's page. Okay. What the hell is happening? Am I being punked? 
Dirk Manning, he's a comic book writer. He's got a top hat, uh, like dark glasses, even though you can still see his eyes. And like his mouth is covered, like he's wearing, a, what do you call it, a gator mask. And he's got a black trench coat and is reaching out his hand like he's Danhausen. Uh, he's written a bunch of comic books and apparently this book. Yeah, I won't be reading that. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, dear God, never mind. All I want to know is at what point did Tony Schiavone decide he was going to go down with the ship? Bobby Heenan left. Maybe he got fired. Maybe he left on his own. A bunch of people probably could have left. Now, maybe Tony had a family and he needed to pay bills and he knew he wasn't going to get a job with WWF. He knew that was going to happen. There wasn't much else going on. So maybe that's the deal. But, you know, I give the man credit for having to try to sell this schlop. This schlop. Um, this is going... I, I will say this, because I didn't even mention the other part. David Flair doesn't win. David Flair doesn't win. Buff Bagwell hits him with a chair. David Flair bleeds. So David Flair is trying to determine the, the father of the baby. You, you would understand if he finally gets the blood. Maybe there was something after the fact. I'm trying to remember. I didn't really pay attention to the story. Like, I kept... I would honestly fast forward from match to match because that was what I was choosing to care about. I wonder, I have a vague recollection that Buff got attacked by somebody else, I want to say Lex Luger, and was bleeding, and then David Flair got the blood, so maybe he got his, he accomplished his goal in the end, but it doesn't matter. This match is now the fifth worst of all time. It is better than... Uh, Hogan versus the Giant, which took place with monster trucks. Because at least this is technically a match. But it's not as good as that coal miner's glove match. And it's not as good as Hogan Warrior in a cage. But yeah. You know, my two matches I could not finish, obviously, uh, are last. And then there's Shane Douglas and Tory versus Conan and Tigress, which was which made Bagwell and Flair look like Flair and Steamboat. I did not expect to get this worked up. But I kind of like that I am. 88. What the hell was 88? We're going into 99 and are kind of the saving grace of, of WCW in the last As We talked about it last time with um, like three count and the Young Dragons. They had some tag team matches that made things at least tolerable. And we have here a, a triple threat tag team match. Harlem Heat, which is a tag team again. Um, the Conan and Kidman, the Filthy Animals, and the First Family. And we have Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs and Jimmy Hart all coming out wearing Halloween masks. Brian Nobbs's mask looks kind of like the Fiend's mask, which I thought was interesting. This is the era in which Kidman comes out with a camera and re records something. He doesn't know what to do with the camera. He's not like actively recording like girls in the crowd or something. He's just holding it. It was weird. Uh, it's a hardcore match. You know, it's, it's good. 
it's awkward fun, I said. We don't need to go into a lot of things. Um, I do wonder where Brian Knobs ranks kind of on the all-time hardcore wrestlers list, you know, in terms of the brawlers and the use of props and all of that stuff. Um, you know, we're watching more smashing of styrofoam uh, gravestones. Um, you know, at one point they want Jimmy Hart to get a table. He can barely lift the thing. The best moment of this is Stevie Ray power slamming a mummy onto Brian Knobs. The match ends badly, as so many WCW matches do. At one point, uh, some of the wrestlers go off into the backstage area while some things are happening in the ring. Um, one referee counts a pin in the back. One referee count, counts a pin in the, in the ring within relative succession of each other. And you go, okay, maybe what happens is you take the third team away. I can't remember who had done what, but maybe what happens is you kick the third team out and we restart the match with the two teams that got the pins and whoever wins, it's like a sudden death sort of thing. That would have made sense. It would have been a logical story. But no, the two refs argue briefly the commentators say something about, oh, well, the one in the back happened first, technically. Harlem Heats gets the belt and the match is over. No drama, no real questions. The, the people who got the pin in the ring look legitimately upset that they don't have the belts. Not like, oh, darn, we didn't, like, they look like there was a... And again, it's the end of WCW, so I assume there's miscommunication galore. I assume that's what happened with this. Um, you know... Having said all that, this is the second best match of 99, mainly because 99 wasn't very good. Uh, it was better than Disco versus Lash, which is currently slotted at... Hold on, let me find it. No, it can't be at the top 15. I must have missed it. There's a lot of matches, friends. Uh, currently at 44, but it's not as good as Saturn and Guerrero, which I think is close to the top 10 at this point. That is currently at number 13. So this match, Outsiders versus Harlem Heat, was better. Uh, the opening match from 2000 with the Boogie Knights and O'Hare and Jindrak, I actually think was better. Uh, let's put it... Let's put it... Again, I, I hesitate to put things above Mr. JL versus Sabu because this was also a car crash um, with a less told story. So let's put it at number 41. Let's bump Flair and Henning down another spot and let's do... First Family versus Harlem Heat versus Filthy Animals. We'll put it at the 41st best match in Halloween Havoc history. Oops. All right. Where are we now? We're getting close. I think we might be kind of at like only like 10 more matches or so, maybe 11 more to go. Number 66. The opening match of 97. I would have assumed Eddie and Ray opened 97, but they didn't, which is, you know, this match, had it not been for Eddie and uh, Ray, this match could have stolen the show. This was a very good one. Ultimo Dragon versus Yuji Nagata. Uh, Yuji Nagata 
If you really only know him from his New Japan stuff, he was, I don't know if he was on excursion or it was a, you know, a trade of talent, but he was wrestling for uh, WCW. He was kind of brought in as Sonny Ono's quote-unquote assassin to take out the Ultimo Dragon after that relationship fell apart. Um, it's good. It's a real good match. Like, this might get into my top five. It's a good, good match. Yuji Nagata's got awesome kicks. Ultimo Dragon is fantastic. Does anyone else do the handstand like he does, where he kind of gets thrown into the corner and, like, pulls himself up onto the top turnbuckle and does a handstand? It's such a good match. Um, you know, at one point, Ultimo does a slingshot to the floor, and Yuji just kicks him on the way down. Um, you know, you got the flock coming into the crowd. That doesn't mean anything. That's just a separate story happening. Uh, yeah, you know, Nagata... He has an all-time career. Let's let's be honest. He has an all-time career. He's a Japanese legend. But in America, if he had come... He started in 92. If he had started in, like, 2002 and he had come along at the same time as Danielson and Daniels and Styles and everything, he would have fit right in. Like, him and Loki just kicking the crap out of each other would have been fantastic. And Nagata wins with a, you know, Fujiwara armbar. Kind of a, a you know move just sort of out of nowhere uh it's excellent i'm gonna put it at four i'm gonna say that this match is better than vader versus the guardian angel and better than austin versus Rhodes. both one and two uh this was a great match so ultimo dragon versus eugene nagat mm, do i actually feel hold on let me go back and check my notes on the 93 Austin Rhodes match because I'm not sure if I actually feel that way. You know what? I said very good, and this is excellent, so I'll stand by it. This is the number four match. So 97 has two of the top five. 93 also has two of the top five. And then there's the 96 classic with Dean Malenko. All right. So another big match off the board. We're getting down to the nitty and the gritty. Let's talk about a bad match that happened back in 1989. Tommy Rich, who I've never gotten, versus the Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra. Uh, it, was the, it was a bad match. There's not much else to say. It was a bad match. The crowd didn't care. They booed both people. I actually thought uh, the assassin was better in this match than Tommy Rich. Rich wins with the Fez Press, and the crowd boos him. Uh, I will tell you this. I liked it better. I liked this match less than Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. At least that, you know, well, actually, no. Van Hammer almost killed Doug Summers a couple of times. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but I liked it better than Hogan Warrior. I will say that. So let's, no, I'm supposed to put it above this. Uh, I'll put it above Hogan Piper, and that's as far as I'll go. So 1989, this is currently the 90th best Cuban assassin versus Tommy Rich. I do, let me go on another tangent and let me refer back to another thing I mentioned probably 30, 40 minutes ago that I've just popped into my head writing down the name of the Cuban assassin. I had talked about how, um, you know, I'm surprised people haven't pressured WWE to go back and delete some of the old stuff that doesn't age well. If they ever sell to Disney, 
Do you think that's when it happens? Like, the Cuban assassin is not a name that is appropriate, really. Like, at some point, do you think they go back? Like, we've eliminated all the mentions of Benoit back in the network. They didn't ever type his name. You couldn't ever search for him. Do you think at some point they go back and, like, really try to PC this up and either take these matches out or, you know, take the name out? I don't know. It would be... It would probably be a monumental amount of work for the very few people who go back and watch this stuff. But, just wondering. Just wondering. Alright, number 29. Feeling fine at 29. What is 29? Oh, actually, another good match here. Featuring people we have talked about before. This is, we are still in, nine. this is 92. And we are getting the best match of 92. I forgot this match was on the list. Steve Austin again, but this time teaming with Steve Williams. Now why, wrestling fans, is that funny? I'll give you six seconds to think about it. Why is it funny that Steve Austin is teaming with Steve Williams? Do you know? It is because, at least this is the reason I am giving, Stone Cold Steve Austin's real name, birth name, is Steve Williams. But he couldn't wrestle as Steve Williams because there was already a Steve Williams, so he became Steve Austin. I think that's how the story goes. Austin and Williams taking on Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham. So Windham and Rhodes versus Williams and Austin. Again, on paper, Great expectations, and in this case, they are met, because this was a fun match. The crowd was cheering for Austin and Williams. There were some We Want Flair chants, because again, this is 92. Flair's in WCW, and nobody's happy about it, or he's in WWF, rather, and nobody's happy about it. Um, Austin's got, you know, hair, which is always hilarious. Um, it was a fast-paced match, a fun match. We're getting some dissension, possibly, between Wyndham and Rhodes. Uh, and we get a 30-minute draw, which, again, might be one of the only parts of the problem here, is that it's a 30-minute draw. And we got a rare ref bump. Ref bumps didn't happen often uh, in, in this time. So this match was, again, very, I thought, very good. So we're going to rank it pretty highly. Uh, I would put it, hmm, Austin, you know, Rhodes and Austin are going to get, so right now top 10 is Anderson Rhodes. Did I think it was better than 94's Anderson and Rhodes? <laughs> it's, it's in the ballpark. It is in the ballpark of that. Um, I would, I actually will give Anderson and Rhodes the nod because... It wasn't 30 minutes long. I can't imagine my attention held for the full 30 minutes. I'm going to put it at number 11. I will put it at number 11 uh, just before Williams and Austin versus Wyndham and Rhodes. So Dustin Rhodes, as of now, there's still probably going to be a change or two up in this top bracket, but he's currently got the fifth best 8th best, 10th, and 11th. And Austin's up there too, 5th, 8th, and 11th. So Dustin Rhodes, you know, 
I don't know that we give him enough credit. He was participating in bangers up and down the early 90s. Good for you, Dustin. Good for you. Next up, number 35. 35, 35. Well, here we go. I had hoped against hope that this would be saved for the end, but it wasn't meant to be, friends, but that's okay because the ending of the show is still pretty exciting here. Uh, we've talked about many great wrestlers. We've talked about Mysterio, Rhodes, Austin, Steiners, Williams, Anderson, Guerrero, Malenko. But you know what this show has been missing? His lordship. Lord Stephen Regal, in sadly his only appearance in Halloween Havoc history at the 93 Halloween Havoc, taking on the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. Um, it's a great match. It's a great match. You should watch it. Uh, it's fantastic. I went into it remembering it being a draw. We've got Michael Buffer doing the announcing, which automatically makes it feel like a big deal. Now, this takes place 14 months after SummerSlam 92. So Bulldog beats Cousin Brett, or brother-in-law Brett, not Cousin Brett, brother-in-law Brett, at 92 in Wembley. Maybe you remember that. And maybe the intention was always that this is going to be a great moment to capitalize, to send the UK crowd home happy, and then we're not doing anything with the British Bulldog. But you would think, he main evented and won at a SummerSlam, you would think that would lead to maybe some sort of world title run, but I don't know. Um, I've always found Regal's forearm tattoo a little weird, especially when he's a lord. I don't think of lords having tattoos, but that might be just me. Uh, they lock up. Regal's complaining that the bulldog is oiled. Um, at one point I wrote that I haven't stopped smiling. We've got rolling sentons, chain wrestling, full surfboards. Uh, you know, the, the problem is, this is, it's a TV match, TV title match, so it's like 10 to 15 minute time limits. Not nearly long enough. The endings, again, the wheels fall off a little bit, and let me tell you why I think that. It's a match for the television title. Lord Steven Regal is the champion, and you know there is a time limit, and you know that because they keep announcing what the time is. We have this many minutes remaining, this many minutes remaining. If you're the challenger trying to win a title in a match where there's a time limit and time is running out, I want you to be acting desperately. You need to be rushing. You need to be jumping up. You need to be trying to pin your opponent multiple times, you need to be, I want to see a frantic effort from you to try to win that match. And you should be going for your finisher as often as possible. Davy didn't do that. Davy, we got it kind of near the end. But I'm saying with like three minutes left, you should be going for your big moves, your finishers, you should be trying to win. Um, at one point, uh, Bulldog hits the running power slam his finisher and Regal kicks out I don't like that either you know he should have gone for his finish and Regal should have wriggled free he should have gone for his finish and Regal should have grabbed the referee you want to do all of that sort of nonsense go ahead but 
I love Lord Steven Regal. Do not get me wrong. Favorite wrestler of all time. But you're kicking out of a huge power wrestler opponent's power slam finisher? That's weird. Uh, having said all of that, it is a great match that should have been perfect. I am calling it... What am I calling it? I, I was going to say something what I was going to call it, but... I'm going to call it number two. I'm going to call it the second greatest match in Halloween Havoc history. And I say that fully well knowing that I think the Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio match from 96 is better. From a match standpoint, it's better. But getting to watch my favorite wrestler and one of my favorite gimmicks of all time in all of his gimmick Lord Steven Regal glory makes that match to me from an emotional place of joy better. So that's going to be my number two match. And I think at this point, the top three to five, maybe even ten, is pretty well locked at this point. I'm not sure if I'm missing any other bangers of matches that are going to make that echelon. So if you want this show to end uh, on a super high note, thanks for listening. Uh, you can catch the last 10 to 12 minutes at another time. But we're it's technically just by the nature of things going to go downhill from here. But not that far because this match is great. This is from 94... And it features three wrestlers we've already talked about and one new wrestler. We've got the Nasty Boys, we've got Terry Funk, and his teammate, Bunkhouse Buck. In a, I don't even know what kind of match. It was a tag team match. It was, le it was the, the match right before Hogan and Flair, and it was silly fun. Sags is out with a giant pumpkin, and I write down, pile driver, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point which to me is not a set of punctuation that I often use. Terry Funk is a goddamn legend. He's stumbling around doing the stumbling Watusi. He's bumping with the ropes. He takes the best pity city I've ever seen. He is just in his element, overselling like crazy. The crowd loved it. I loved it. As I wrote, truthfully, this is just funkin' fun. Um, I wish they had brawled through the crowd. They didn't. And the match ended, as I expected, with a pile driver onto a pumpkin. Uh, I put it well ahead of Hogan versus Flair. And 94 was a good show. You got Vader and the Angel, which is better. You got Arn and Rhodes, which is better. But I gave it the third place on my list. So it's going to make the top 30 for sure. Let's see. Is it better than Outsiders versus Harlem Heat? Yes. Is it better than Ming versus Lex Luger? I love you, Ming. Yes. Is it better than the Chamber of Horrors? It depends on how you define Wrestle Silly. If you like Wrestle Silly that is also bad, like objectively bad, 
then the Chamber of Horrors match is better because there's not a lot of redeeming qualities from a good wrestling or that sort of thing about the Chamber of Horrors match. It's a car crash that you can't take your eyes off of. This is Demolition Derby. This is the skill of how, like, it's silly, it's Wrestle Silly, but there is so much skill in what Terry Funk is doing in this Wrestle Silly that, yes, I will say for me, this is better. And I'm going to even go as so far as to say it's better than the Yeti. That match was terrible. It's just the moment of the Yeti that makes it fun. I'm going to put it at number 13 on my list. Above Ming versus Wrath and above... St nope, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to make it 14. I'm going to put it above Ming versus Wrath. But I'm not going to put it above Steiner Brothers versus Doom because that was a good match. But Funk and Buck, the stud stable, versus Nasty Boys. I will say that is good enough to make my 14th best match. So the Nasty Boys now have... I thought I had another match with them near the top. Did I? Oh, there it is, number 10. So they currently have 10 and 14 on my list, the Nasty Boys. They can, their brawls are enjoyable to watch. Number 63. 63, 63. Uh, you know, I would, oh, well, okay. Let me, let me give myself, let me give myself, there's, there's some matches I forgot about. So if you turned it off, you're missing good stuff. Let's go to 96 and let's go to, uh, my boy Ming is back again. The Faces of Fear, a woefully underrated tag team, uh, taking on Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael. I am going to say, I think this is Chris Benoit's only appearance at a Halloween Havoc. So I'm going to say that while I didn't watch Scott Hall and Kevin Nash because of the uh, substance issues, and I didn't watch the Renegade Warriors and the Freebirds because of the inappropriate cultural issues, I am making, I should, maybe, there's an argument to be made that I should make this match also near the bottom because not only is Chris Benoit in it, but Nancy is in his corner. And for those of you who are really upset about the Benoit tragedy, which how could you not be, you might not feel comfortable watching Benoit matches at all and you might not feel comfortable watching Benoit man matches when Nancy slash woman is in his corner. And I can't say I blame you at all if you are either of those. I totally respect your choice to not watch it, and you could put it down at the bottom, and I wouldn't blame you at all. For me, I'm okay with it. For me, I have, maybe it's maybe it's a illogical justification, but... The, the amount of damage done to Chris Benoit's brain in 20, what was it, 2008? That was happened, 2008, 2007. This is 11 years earlier. He didn't have the amount of damage to his brain. 
I really do believe, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I do believe that science will eventually advance to a spot when we can say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the brain damage he, that he suffered as a result of all the headbutts and chair shots and whatever else uh, changed his brain chemistry and changed him enough that led to him doing the horrible, tragic, unforgivable things that he did. But it's a... I won't even say any more than that. So I can watch a Benoit match. And I can watch a Benoit match with Nancy in this corner. And this match was fun. You know, Mongo's out there with Deborah. Benoit's out there with Nancy. That's awkward. Uh, Mongo goes into a three-point stance and knocks Ming down, which absolutely should not happen. Ming should not be taken down by anybody except maybe Goldberg. Maybe. Um... You know, nobody mentioned the fact that the Barbarian is a former challenger to the world title at a Halloween Havoc, obviously. Uh, the Faces of Fear's move where they backdrop him into a powerbomb is great. Uh, the Barbarian hits a top rope belly to belly. They do a powerplex at one point. Um, but, you know, uh, Mongo's got his briefcase. He hits one of the Faces of Fear. Uh, they win. Uh, but it's the second best match on that card, following only, obviously, uh, Malenko versus Mysterio. <sighs> Hogan Savage is currently at 25. I'll say this. I could make a case to put this match as high as 8. But, out of respect... My concession, which is silly, is I will not put this match in my top 10. I won't put it at 11. I won't put it at 12. I won't even put it as high as uh, Funk and Buck, which you have to say very carefully, versus the Nasty Boys. Uh, I won't even put it ahead of Ming versus Wrath. No, I will put it ahead of Ming versus Wrath. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll put it at 15. So Ming's going to have back-to-back... Uh, spots here for now. Uh, Faces of Fear versus Benoit Mongo is going to be my 15th one. So we've got a tag team run here. We've got 12 Williams and Austin versus Wyndham and Rhodes. 13 Steiner Brothers versus Doom. 14 Funkin' Buck versus the Nasty Boys. And 15 is the Faces of Fear versus Benoit and Mongo. So quite a run of tag team matches there in the uh, low double digit numbers. 92. We're down to like four more, friends. Goodness, what a journey it has been. Ugh. Let's get this final Lex Luger match out of the way. Though technically, technically he is not Lex Luger. He is the total package. So stupid. Lex Luger versus Bret Hart. All of a sudden it's 94 again. They redo the 94 Rumble spot. It's a boring match. It ends with Lex Luger uh, hitting a single crab because Bret Hart is selling a leg injury. Bad, 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 bad. Worse than Bret Hart versus Sting, I say. Worse than Sid versus Sting, I say. I'll put it at 96. Uh, I'll give... Hollywood Hogan and Roddy Piper uh, the spot above it because at least that match had some moments. 
Hogan got his booty bit. That's at least something. And right ahead of Van Hammer versus Doug Summers. <sighs> What's next? 86. Okay. You know, okay. We'll go with uh, the main event of 98 and the best match of 98. We haven't talked about this match yet. Let's talk about DDP versus Goldberg. This is the 98. This follows. This has to follow Hogan and the Warriors. So really, all they have to do is not roll around on the ground, and the crowd's going to cheer. Um, you know, Goldberg dents the door with his head, which I always thought was dumb. His entrance is really long. Um, we see a big jump in Bill's ability from 97 to 98. I wrote Little Rough and Ready, which means I've been watching too much Leaf on... Uh, the Bake Off, because that's a thing she says a lot. Uh, but it was fun. It was a brutal, fun match. Goldberg's spear is great. Uh, he goes for the jackhammer. DDP hits a diamond cutter out of it. Let's give credit to Diamond Dallas Page for finding incredibly creative ways to do the diamond cutter. Because I grew up on that, I've always found the diamond cutter better than the RKO. If I do decide to continue my quest chronologically, which honestly right now I'm up in the air... Uh, maybe I'll change my mind the more I watch Randy Orton, but I've always been a diamond cutter guy. Uh, but the jackhammer wins, and DDP gets the win. I said it was a fun sprint, better than Ming versus Wrath. So, you know, uh, let's see here. Does it make my top ten? No, it does not. But I will break up some of this tag team kerfuffle and I will put it at number 14. No, I won't. I won't. You know what I'm going to do? I will break up the Ming Ming thing. I will put it at 16. And I will say it is better than Ming versus Wrath, which it was. Ming was the second best match of 98. DDP Goldberg was the first. But it was not as good as Faces of Fear versus Benoit and Mongo. It, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. I'm not going to say it was when it wasn't. 77. Oh, my goodness. feel like I'm at the end of a marathon here. Oh, God, another disco match. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, disco Inferno versus Juventud Guerrera. Winner of this match goes on to face Kidman. We obviously know that Disco won. Um, you know, I've never been a Hoovy guy. He looks like he's 12 years old. Granted, so did Rey Mysterio when he took the mask off. Um... The best part of this match is there's two best moments, and I'll and I'll give you both now. Number one, Bobby Heenan talking about how the Disco Inferno needed a manager. I remember this maybe from this match and maybe from other matches. Bobby Heenan would talk about how the Disco Inferno was talented, but he lacked focus, and he needed a manager to keep the eye on the ball and to keep him focused and to keep him working towards the goal. And I love that. I miss managers. I wish we saw more of that. And that was a great use of Bobby Heenan. So that's the one best part of this. The second best part of this is that at some point, Disco does a giant swing. And even after two or three rotations, he falls over because he's dizzy. That was funny, too. Uh, so um, Disco wins again, obviously. This is my eighth best match of this 98 show. Better than Lodi and Saturn. So in the top 83 but not as good as Scott and the Giant, that tag match. 
that we talked about so long ago. So that was at 61. Is it better than The Wall versus Reno? No. Is it better than Disco versus Jackie? No. Is it better than The Giant versus Jeff Jarrett? Oh, there was another Chris Benoit match. My apologies. But that one, he got beat up by Rick Steiner. So obviously no one had a problem with that. Uh, is it better than Giant versus Jeff Jarrett? No, because this was Giant still in good shape doing crazy stuff. So we'll say no. Was it better than Rick Steiner beating up Benoit? No. I will say it was better than Kurosawa versus Hawk from 95. So Disco Inferno versus Juventud Guerrera. I can spell that name. Is this it? Are we down to our lat? We are down to our last one, and we go to 99, uh, 89, and God damn it. Why do I have to end with Shane Douglas? Jeremy, why did you make the fates? cause me to have to end this great, like, six-hour endeavor with a Shane Douglas match, Jeremy. It's bad enough that you've abandoned me, and you've abandoned the inner circle, and you've abandoned the besties, and you've abandoned all of the people who liked the Piece of Business podcast, even though it's still very good, don't get me wrong, but we liked the chemistry that you had with Glenn, and we wanted to keep listening, and you abandoned us? That wasn't enough for you, Jeremy? No, you had to make it and arrange it and tell the fates to make it that I have to talk about another Shane Douglas match at the end of this journey, Jeremy? I am strongly angry at you right now. Strongly. How dare you? 1989, the Freebirds versus the Dynamic Dudes of Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. They are the babyfaces, and they have Jim Cornette as a manager. Why? I don't know. But they have Jim Cornette as a manager. And they come to the ring carrying their skateboards. I said this about Cora Jade. I'll say this about the Dynamic Dudes, and if anybody else ever came to the ring with a skateboard, I'm saying it about you. With the exception of Mark Andrews, who I actually believe could probably use it. If you have a skateboard and you carry it to the ring, I better see you actually skate on it. Or whatever the verb is, skateboard on it. Um, I got to breathe for a second. I got real mad just then. Um, obviously, the crowd is much more into the Freebirds than they are into the dynamic dudes with their day-glow tights and their blonde hair. Um, Shane Douglas is obviously very green, and Michael Hayes does not appear to want to help him out, as he shouldn't. You should let him be terrible, because guess what? 11 or 12 years later, he's going to be on the 2000 Halloween Havoc and still be terrible. So we talk about, oh, Shane Douglas is great. Shane Douglas deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Shane Douglas is underrated. If you're terrible in 1989 and you're terrible in 2000, I have to assume you've been terrible the whole time. 
The dynamic dudes went for their finisher, which was Wipeout, which is a double slingshot back suplex. So they go for like an atomic drop position, one on each side, bounce him off the ropes and hit a back suplex. I will say, that's a cool move. That's the only redeeming thing I'll say about the dynamic dudes. Cool looking finish. But Michael Hayes trips one of them, and the Freebirds win. The match, I said, was okay. Not as good as the Thunderdome, but better than Luger versus Pillman. Because I don't like Lex Luger, and I, I at least am not so vehemently, viscerally angry at Lex Luger as I am at stupid Shane Douglas. Why is this not working? Get away from me. Uh, the Thunderdome is currently ranked at number 75. Luger and Pillman is currently ranked at number 76. So this match, according to my calculations, should go right in between. But you know what? I'll listen to myself. All right. I'm gonna, why am I doing this wrong all of a sudden? It's because I don't want to put Shane Douglas's name on here another time. We will have a trio of 89 matches all in a row, because really, it's 75 through 77. Nobody cares about that part of a list of 107. You care about what's at the bottom, and you care about what's at the top. And I'm spent, friends. I am just about spent. What a world! What a world, what a world. What began with a, a, a little boy's dream has turned into, in some worlds, a nightmare. But we have ourselves ranked 107 Halloween Havoc matches. From the Renegade Warriors versus the Freebirds at number 107, all the way up to our top five that I will read for you now. Number five, 97. Ultimo Dragon versus Yuji Nagata. Number four, 93, Vader versus Cactus Jack, Texas Deathmatch. Number three, 96, Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio. Number two, also 93, Lord Steven Regal versus the British Bulldog. And the best Halloween Havoc match of all time, unequivocally, 97, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. I could go through this and do all sorts of things, trying to calculate, you know, uh, point totals for wrestlers to try to determine who had the best uh, Halloween Havoc history. I think it's going to wind up being Dustin Rhodes because he's in this top tier a bunch. Um, Rey Mysterio, two out of the top three, got to be pretty good. Uh, you know, Vader's in two of the top ten. The Steiners are up in the top a bunch. But all I'll say is this was fun. Even hating on Shane Douglas in its own weird, twisted way is fun. And I hope you had fun with this Herculean effort to try to rank all of these. I have put off the Cruiserweightish Classic. I have put off uh, Battle of the Brandon. I have put off, I think I have a November PWI episode that I've either recorded or I need to record because I want to do one of those a month. I'm going to get back to my regularly scheduled programming. But thank you for taking this three-episode break with me uh, to look at the matches from Halloween Havoc. I hope 
that you have a great holiday season. I hope you enjoy Halloween. Um, and I hope you are well. And I hope those you love are doing well. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Happy Halloween to you. I'll see you the next time we celebrate the joy of booking.